0: The preaching of God's Word is there found in Hebrews chapter 4 and at verse 2. Hebrews 4 and verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It should cause us some measure of staggering to realize that there are whole nations in history which have been raised up and brought to nothing, never once hearing the good news of Christ Jesus. That there are men, women, and children in our generation who will live and never hear the gospel What this is, is a sovereign consigning of them unto the just judgment they deserve as sinners. God keeping from them that merciful provision of the Gospel. And whereas there are those today who would scorn the thought and say, wait a second, that's not fair. How is it fair that some should hear the Gospel and others should not hear the Gospel? But for us to see this, rightly, We have to be more precise. Who is it that's hearing the Gospel and who is it that's not hearing the Gospel? They're sinners. They're sinners who have no claim upon God even to hear the name of Jesus Christ. They have sinned and in sinning they have said to God, No, we rebel against you. And so we're under no constraint to try and find out how it's equitable that some sinners should hear the Gospel and other sinners shouldn't. We acknowledge from the outset it's not an even distribution. But what is it? It's a merciful provision to some to hear the Gospel. A Gospel which holds forth the way of eternal life. And yet, we must see, as is held before us in this verse, that the gospel must be received by faith. Otherwise, the very provision of privilege becomes a harder weight, a heavier weight, upon those who would not believe the gospel. And so you'll notice that Paul, or the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 2, says that, Unto us was the gospel preached. In our text, there's an audience that's indicated New Testament, New Covenant hearers of the good news of Christ. It's unto us. And there's an action in the text. There is the preaching of the gospel. In the Greek, it's a word that is translated in several words it's the gospel preached, it's the preached gospel. It is the holding forth of that good news. Of course, you'll know that when you come across the word gospel, it's some form of that which means good news, or sometimes translated, glad tidings. It's an announcement, a proclamation of something that's good. And in the scriptures, as we'll see, it centers on the person, work, and blessings Of Christ Jesus. But notice in the text, there's also a comparison. Unto us was the gospel preached. Here's the comparison, as well as unto them. The them refers back into chapter three, as we read earlier, of this generation unto whom God had warned, and unto whom he had shown many miraculous works, and unto whom, as it says in verse 17, that with them he was grieved forty years, with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. Now, this is instructive, because though it had types and figures and signs and tangible things connected to it, the good news preached under the Old Covenant is one and the same, as the good news preached under the new covenant. It's the same gospel. It's differently administered under the old covenant. There were ceremonies attached to it that are no longer attached to it. There was the promised land, which was signifying on earth, as it were, a sign pointing unto the great promise of everlasting life and so forth. And though this promise was preached to God's covenant people, It says, with many of them, God was grieved. Why? Because, as it says, they did not receive it in faith. They believed not. And the author adds this. So we see that they, God's covenant people, think of this for a moment, who that is, the people who had seen the waters of the Red Sea parted, the people who had seen the Lord uh, overthrowing the Egyptians, the people who had been provided all of those provisions throughout the wandering in the wilderness, these, God said, you are forbidden to enjoy the blessings promised to you. Why? Here's the caution. Because of unbelief. It was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. This holds to us a caution. We hear, in essence, the same gospel. We hear the same good news, not temporal things attached to it, as there under the Old Testament, but in its more pure and focused clarity of life everlasting, of sins pardoned, and of acceptance with God. And yet, though we hear the gospel and in the Lord's Supper have the gospel, as it were, figured unto us, held forth to us, acted out unto us, yet it calls unto us to embrace the same by faith. All of the blessings held forth by God in the gospel demand faith. Now, from the outset, it's important for us to see this in our own context as a congregation. Lord willing, should the Lord give us life, we gather next Lord's Day. And for what purpose? To worship God as we do on every Lord's Day. But in particular, there to have the Lord's Supper administered to us. And what is the Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament that by signs God holds forth the gospel to us clearly, particularly, personally, personally, And it helps us to realize that should we receive any blessing from the Lord's Supper, it will only be as the promise which is held forth to us is received by faith. This is true as well with all of the promises of God. Whether we come to the Lord's table, or whether we're not present then, whether we're reading the Bible on our own, or hearing the Gospel preached, listening to a sermon, reading a book that holds it forth, The blessings that are held forth by God demand and call for faith. And it's faith, the gift of God, which then, as it were, unlocks those blessings and gives them over unto us. Consider then, as we have this before us, three things. The blessings promised in the Gospel, the blessings missed in the Gospel, And thirdly, the blessings gained by the Gospel. So consider then, firstly, the blessings promised in the Gospel. We've already indicated the message of the Gospel is essentially that declaration, that announcement of good news. When the shepherds are tending their sheep in the hills there surrounding Bethlehem and the angels appear and they declare glad tidings, what are they doing? They're pronouncing the good news that unto you a Savior is born. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news. Fundamentally, the gospel is a good message. It is the proclamation of that good news. It's the announcing of that good news. And throughout, it is centered on Christ, as we'll see. But notice in the context... The preaching of the gospel, the gospel preached, verse 2, is parallel to verse 1 in its mentioning of a promise. A promise being left us of entering into his rest. Verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, and so on. In the gospel there is held forth sometimes explicitly, other times implicitly, a promise, and it's a promise which centers on the person and work of Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews sufficiently testifies to this, but to help us, you can see this as we survey but a few passages. Notice in the book of Acts, where this appears much in great frequency, we can see, for instance, a quick survey, chapter 8 of Acts, and there, verse 35, you'll notice this word appears, a preached gospel, the gospel preached, and it is here that we read, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's the good news. It centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, notice in context what's going on. Philip has stumbled upon, by the Spirit's blessing and guidance, this servant this eunuch in a chariot and in verse 30 Philip runs and hears that he reads from the prophet Isaiah and it's speaking of Isaiah 53 and so when Philip is preaching Jesus he's preaching Jesus as held forth in Isaiah 53 Christ crucified for sinners there's much more that can be said notice Perhaps turning a page or two, Acts 10 and verse 36. Acts 10 and verse 36. Here Peter is appealing to others, and he says, verse 36, "...the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ." Notice that. The gospel preaching is focused on Jesus Christ, and it holds forth peace by Him. So the Gospel centers on the person of Christ, and all of the blessings of the Gospel, as it were, are attached to Christ. Another few pages, perhaps. Acts chapter 13, and there at verse 32. Acts 13, 32 and 33. Here Paul preaches... And he says, We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Well, we could multiply other instances. Paul, of course, writes, in Romans chapter 1, of the Gospel, verse 15, that He is ready to preach the Gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice a couple things about this as it's centered on Christ. The Gospel isn't preached only to the elect. The Gospel isn't promised only to the elect. The gospel goes forth indiscriminately, holding forth Christ and saying, all are called to embrace this promise. This is what heightens the damnation of those who hear the gospel promise and refuse it. This is what heightens their judgment that they should hear this disclosure of God's kindness and they should refuse it. it has nothing to do with the ordering of things and God's sovereignty it's looking upon God coming near unto men and saying here's the way of salvation here's the way of peace and yet they turn from it notice the message of the gospel proclaimed holds forth the blessings in and by Christ. We saw this in Acts as it speaks of peace. In Romans, we see the same in chapter 10 and there at verse 15 when we read, for he saith, or rather, Romans 10, verse 15, wherein we read, And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things notice it goes forth indiscriminately and there are those who hear it who verse 16 are said not to have obeyed the gospel lord isaiah says who hath believed our report we see the very same thing as we'll touch more on that in a moment in romans 1 and verse 16 the gospel holds forth christ and that unto the which is the power of god unto salvation in Acts 13 and verse 46, it is the gospel which brings eternal life. This is the message of the gospel. It holds forth Christ and says, Come unto Him and have life. That some refuse it under the authority or rather the sovereignty of God does not deny that the heir was pointed unto even the reprobate saying, here is life. It's like a finger pointing and saying, there's the exit out of the fire burning up the building. And we know that only those whom God has chosen will go through the exit. But it doesn't deny that the promise is there. If you go through, you'll have life. You'll be saved. You'll be rescued. What it shows is when the blessing promised in the Gospel is denied, it shows the impenitent the hardness, the wickedness of man's fallen nature. The Gospel calls for faith. The blessings promised are not given over of themselves. The blessings are held forth and must be taken unto ourselves. Now, you and I don't have the power to activate faith. We don't have the power to sort of make ourselves believers. That doesn't mean we don't give attention to the Gospel. It doesn't mean we sit in some trance-like state and say, I'm just going to sit here unless and until God gives me faith. We implore God for faith. We make use of the means of grace. We sit under the preaching of the Gospel. But if ever we should believe, it is a gift that God should give Notice then, secondly, the blessings missed in the Gospel. All the blessings of God are held forth in the Gospel. You can't find a blessing which is of any value, which is not connected some way or somehow to the Gospel. Eternal life, it's in the Gospel. Peace with God, it's in the Gospel. Justification, it's in the Gospel. Sanctification, it's in the Gospel. Glorification, it's in the Gospel. Holiness, all of these things are bound up in the Gospel. We saw this in 2 Peter. When when Peter testifies that God has given all of these things and promises which are in Christ and they are given over unto us that we would receive all of those blessings by faith. In the gospel. But notice this though the gospel binds up all of the blessings and holds it forth unto those who hear, there are those who miss the blessings. And it's staggering to us that it is even those in God's covenant. Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached, which was the gospel, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. How is it that there were those who missed the gospel? Let's note what it wasn't. It wasn't that they weren't in God's covenant. It wasn't that they weren't given adequate and tremendous access to the means of grace. It wasn't that they hadn't experienced outward deliverances and outward mercies. If you look at the generation of which Hebrews is writing, you would see deliverance after deliverance after deliverance, provision after provision after provision. Why? Because they're really members of the church. They're members of the visible church. They make up the covenant community. And yet, Though severed from the nations, though bearing in their flesh the sign of the seal or the sign of the righteousness Abraham had by faith, yet they refused the blessings. How so? By not trusting the blessings, by not embracing the blessings, by not believing those blessings. This is what's said in verse 19. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Notice what it wasn't. It wasn't because there was lack of sufficiency in the promise. It wasn't because they lacked knowledge. It wasn't because they weren't privileged. It's because they did not believe the promise. This is the way the blessings of the gospel are missed today, whether it's by preaching, reading God's word, or the sacrament displayed before us. If the blessing is missed, it's missed because we fail to believe the one who holds forth the blessing. There is no illegitimacy in saying the sinner who hears the gospel and perishes in his sin so perishes because he did not believe. Now, let's be clear that's not denying the sovereignty of God. It's speaking from one perspective among other perspectives. It's right to acknowledge, well, let's go further. Why did they not believe? Well, God didn't grant them belief. That's true. But it is not illegitimate to say, here is a reason. They failed. They did not believe. It's what the Scriptures say. We see that they could not enter in because... Of unbelief. Brethren, you and I have heard the gospel. We have read the gospel. We have listened to the gospel. Many of us have sat at a table where the gospel is signified to us, it's displayed unto us. And if we fail to enjoy the blessings that the gospel holds forth, it's not because of some deficiency in the message or in the sign and seal of that message. It's because of unbelief of our own hearts. This leads us then, thirdly, to the blessings gained by the Gospel. While some refuse and miss out on those blessings in the Gospel, others enjoy them. How so? Well, it's by faith. And so it is in verse 2, it did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Well, if it didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith, then it would profit them had it been mixed with faith. This is why Christ is regularly calling to believe on Him. This is why the apostles are regularly going forth saying, Trust in Him. And this is why the warning is surrounding this passage regarding faith. But it's important for us to ask, what is faith? Well, let's notice, firstly, that faith is a gift. This is of fundamental importance to keep us from straying into that Arminian heresy, which says, you have the power of yourself to believe. No one has the power of themselves to believe. Howsoever long they've been in church over long the lineage goes back of believers in their own line and heritage, no one has that power of themselves to believe. Paul says this so clearly that it has become, if not memorized by seemingly all, at least familiar. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, "...for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." Notice this, the grace that saves is through faith. And so you see in this passage, both the source of salvation, God's sovereign grace, and the instrument of salvation, as it were, the faith receiving that promise. But the ability to receive it is an ability that is given to us. And so you see something of this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 when it is that Simon Peter says, verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You can see this again in John's Gospel, chapter 1. There it speaks of those who embrace The promise of Christ there at verse 12. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Notice the parallel between receiving Him and believing on Him. This is important. Faith that is saving is not just the acknowledging of who He is and what He's done. It's the embracing of Him as my own. He is mine. But then notice what John records when he says that these who received Him, who believe on His name, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so though they are adopted children, as it says they were given the power to become the sons of God, they were regenerate children being brought in by renewing, regenerating grace to make them so. And so faith is a gift. But notice also what faith is. Faith is trust. It's not just acknowledging historically this is true, and this aligns with what is true. It's a receiving of it unto ourselves. It's an embracing of it as our own. It's a saying, this which is held forth to me is now taken as mine. I take it children you can think of it this way if you're thirsty and your mom or dad say well here's a drink you don't get your thirst quenched by looking at it and saying you're right mom and dad that's water that would be good and i agree with it that would satisfy my thirst and so on you don't then say well i've seen it i see that you're really offering it to me i see that it's held forth to me and i see that you would say take it and drink it and live therefore i'm fine that would do nothing to satisfy your thirst. In order to be satisfied by that water held forth to us, we must take it and drink it ourselves. The same is true of the Gospel. The Gospel comes and says, look, sinner, here's the way of salvation. Here's the Savior of sinners. We don't say, yep, you're right, God, and oh, I see that's accurate, and I can recite all of this creed and all of these catechisms and all of these statements... We must, if faith is active, embrace that and say, He is mine. And the word of faith is such a blessed thing. God is regularly placing the articulation of it in our lips. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we can sing that without faith, but it holds forth the message of faith. It's not just saying the Lord is the shepherd. It's a testimony of ownership. I own him as my shepherd. I take him to be mine. You can see this in another angle through John's Gospel, chapter 6. You see the beauty of the Gospel promise and the sovereign grace. In verse 37, "...all that the Father giveth me shall come to me." There's sovereign grace. And oh, the beauty of this. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's faith. Him that cometh to me. He that embraces me. How is it that one ever comes to Christ? It's by the Father having given him to Christ. John 6.44 No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. Notice. You can see it in these passages that both faith is a gift sovereignly given and faith in that sovereign gift is an embracing of Christ as promised unto us. This is the way of gaining the blessings. It's by faith. Parents, this is instructive for you. You should not be content that your children can rattle off accurate answers. This is instructive for us. We should not be content that we read a great theological work and say, I agree with it. We should not be content to say, I've read five chapters today. I've read ten chapters today. I've read a hundred chapters today. You know what I did today? I sat down and I read the whole of Isaiah. These are means. These hold forth promises. Think of this for a moment. Who was it? that failed to enter the Promised Land. Brethren, think of this for a moment. They didn't read about the miraculous works that we read about. They saw the miraculous works that we read about. They experienced the miraculous works that we read about. Think of this for a moment. We read about that darkness which covered the land of Egypt, such a darkness as could be felt while there was light in the houses of the Israelites. Do you know what this generation did that was kept from the promised land? They experienced those plagues. They witnessed those plagues. They could have looked out their house and they could have seen the darkness everywhere else but the light that was in their own homes. We read about the wonder of the Red Sea being parted, and you know there's a double wonder in it. The ground which they walked upon is said to have been dry ground. Whereas as soon as the Egyptians follow the same path, their chariot wheels are getting stuck in the mud. Think of this. They didn't read about that. They experienced that. And yet though they experienced that, though they would have been the first to have said, this happened, I acknowledged that it happened. They failed to trace that with faith, to put trust in the God who had performed it for them. We may be in full agreement, as we say, with the Bible from cover to cover. We believe everything be- between those covers that is divine scripture, Genesis through Revelation. And yet, though we acknowledge it historically true, that is not the same as savingly trusting its message. Savingly trusting it is looking at the testimony of God's grace in Christ and saying, I agree with what He's done, I acknowledge what He's done, and I take what He's done unto myself. And I embrace Him as my own. Yes, it's a gift. And so we seek the Lord to provide it. Brethren, learn then in this passage the way of enjoying any and all of God's blessings. It's not merely by hearing them. It's not merely by reciting them. It's not merely by reading about them. It's not merely by contending against idolaters for them. It's by trusting them. It's by believing them. Christ doesn't say, All you who are weary and heavy laden, know that I'm the Savior and you're fine. What does he say? He uses language expressive of faith Come unto me, embrace me, receive me. Think about the Lord's Supper. The minister, in accordance to God's institution, Christ's institution, takes the bread, and having blessed it as Christ did, he breaks it, and he recites the words of Christ, This is my body, which is broken for you. The words that follow are not these. Take it, look at it, and pass it around. What are the words that are spoken? Take it. And eat. This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. What's then said? Not take it, smell it, look at it, pass it around, but rather drink it. The actions by which the elements become brought into our very bodies. And it's holding forth by the very administration of the sacrament the call to faith. Look at Christ crucified. Now embrace Him as your own. People get so lost in all of the, quote, worship wars of so-called high church and low church, and one of our personal favorites, well, I have a high view of the sacraments, which necessarily implies that others have a low view of the sacraments. Well, you have your high view, you have your low view, let's settle for a biblical view that holds this forth. The gospel preached is the same gospel which is held forth by the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And just as the gospel preached calls for faith in them that hear it, so the gospel signified and acted out by the Lord's Supper calls for faith in them that partake it. There is no blessing. We saw this this morning. There's no blessing in taking the bread and eating it if there's not faith there's no blessing in taking the cup and drinking it if there's not faith in fact what is there there's cursing lest we eat and drink judgment unto ourselves Do you see the same is true here what ultimate blessings fell upon those who were led through the wilderness for forty years well they received a lot of temporal blessings They received a lot of privileges, but brethren, understand this. In the end, they received a severer judgment. It's the same thing that Christ says, Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. For if the works done in you were done in other places, among which is Sodom and Gomorrah, they had repented long ago, your judgment will be greater. Think of that for a moment. Your judgment will be greater than the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because Sodom and Gomorrah never had the gospel preached unto them. But you did. Brethren, the privilege of the gospel is a privilege indeed. Sometimes people get smart and clever, and they say, well, it's not a privilege unless it's something that is embraced by faith. No, it's a privilege. That's why it incurs greater judgment if refused. Though it's ordered by God sovereignly to the further hardening of some, the way it's done is by holding forth a greater privilege. The gospel heard by the reprobate is a privilege which only heightens their judgment. Brethren, the same is true regarding the Lord's Supper. If we come to the table and we say, well, I've eaten, I've drunken, I'm okay, I heard the gospel, I'm okay. We're missing a fundamental and vital point of true Christianity. We ridicule rightly, we criticize rightly the Roman Catholics who say, ex opera operato, by the work worked. By the work of the sacrament, grace is necessarily worked in the one receiving it. We say that's nonsense. That's not the way it's done. Why? Because we understand. That the Lord blesses graciously by giving faith to the hearers of the gospel and by giving faith in those who partake of the Lord's Supper. Otherwise, that which is held forth brings judgment. This is what Paul was speaking of in 1 Corinthians 11. So, why do we labor this point? Well, two reasons. One is it's the temptation of Orthodox Christians to rest in their orthodoxy and from the comfort of an orthodox position fall asleep without faith they say oh look at those non-trinitarians jehovah's witnesses mormons how can they believe such ludicrous things they get closer look at the pentecostals and the charismatics how can they be get how can they get led astray in such ridiculous antics And they get closer. Well, look at those who forbear baptizing their children. How could they miss the covenant principle? Look at these who use these things in worship and those things in worship and so on. They go through the whole confession. They go through all the articulation of the finer points and they feel themselves at peace because they agree with the truth. But brethren, understand this very clearly. There are men, women, and children who have subscribed to the original Westminster Confession of Faith and now suffer in hell. How so? There are men, women, and children who grew up in psalm singing churches who now suffer in hell. How so? There are men, women, and children who observe the Lord's Supper outwardly with bread, common bread, with wine, common wine, around a table, no ornamentation, none of the nonsense that speculative men introduce, and yet they suffer in hell. How so? Because the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Take this to heart. If you desire any saving blessing, it must be gained by the gift of faith. Well, let's close with something of encouragement for us. Why is the warning here? The warning isn't here so that we can say, Oh, you know what? This is a ser- significant warning. Let's go away and you know, be quite concerned. We ought to be concerned but it's calling us to be diligent to exercise faith. If they weren't profited not hearing the word with faith, we should then argue in our minds, I will be profited if it is mixed with faith. And so as we're thinking ahead to the Lord's Supper, or for that matter, any reading of God's Word, any listening to His Word preached, we should think this, if God gives me faith, then I will enjoy the blessings held forth to me by the promise. I will enjoy the blessings held forth to me by the sacrament. So what does this do for us? It makes us seek God's blessing rightly. We search out God's promises. Realize this. There's no spiritual blessing except it be attached to a promise. You cannot go to God without The promise being your confidence to request anything of Him. Otherwise, it's presumption. Otherwise, it's going to Him and asking Him for things you have no warrant to ask for. But when it is we have a promise before us, articulating to us that which God has disclosed to say, I will give this to you, we take it up in our hands and we say, God, here's your promise. Now give me faith to embrace this promise, to believe this promise. O God, let me not perish without trusting this promise. Faith is a gift You give. I can't cause it myself. I fall before the throne of mercy, and I cleave, as it were, unto the horns of that altar, and I say, give mercy unto me. By Your grace, give me faith. What we do for ourselves we ought to do for others oh God this one who is locked up in sin they need your grace to give them faith oh my children who are being taught the true and right way they need your gift of faith oh my spouse who is even growing in faith needs still your provision of greater faith I need more faith And so we begin to implore God for what no human man, no human woman can give to himself or to others. We're taught to look to God, beholden to His sovereign grace. Give faith. Give faith. And As we look to the Lord's Supper, we talked this morning about the Christian responsibility of examining ourselves. But we ought to mix in our exercises this week, this imploring of God, whatever else you give, O God, give faith. Whatever else you withhold, do not withhold faith. God may withhold the sense of His love, but we pray, do not withhold faith. God may withhold uh, the, the, the feeling of His love, but, oh God, do not withhold faith. There are many people walking around today that assure themselves, I have the blessings of God. And you ask them, how do you know? Well, I feel the love of God. I hope that you feel the love of God. I hope that we all grow to feel the love of God. But do you know that there are many counterfeits to such a feeling? And likewise, Sometimes the Lord withholds the sense of His love. But what does that mean for the believer? It does mean that we humble ourselves, we beseech God again to disclose to us and to show us and to make us to sense His love. But the believer still has the foundation of hope in the promise received by faith. You can go to the Lord's table you can leave the Lord's table in faith going, in faith partaking, in faith leaving, and you may not experience an increase of the love of God, something we desperately long to experience. But you may still experience spiritual profit. How so? Because faith doesn't live by sense, faith doesn't live by feeling, faith lives by the promise of God. And so what we earnestly pray is not merely God make me to know Your love and to experience, oh, we long for that. But we pray whatever else You give, whatever else You withhold, oh, give me faith that I would trust Your Word, that I would trust the Gospel there administered unto me, that in taking the bread, oh, by faith I would take again Christ, that by taking the cup, oh, by faith I would again drink in faith and embrace the blessings there held forth to me. This blood is the New Testament in my blood, says Christ. And we say as we take the cup, I believe Christ, and in taking this, I take all the blessings of the New Covenant unto myself. Brethren, the fundamental need you and I have at the Lord's Supper is the gift of faith. And if we have that, brethren, then shall we be profited by the Gospel, preached and administered unto us. So may God add His blessing. Would you stand with me for prayer?